Authority's Edge with Michael Pacheco, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. Authority's Edge with Michael Pacheco is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Michael Pacheco. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to another episode of the Authorities Edge podcast brought to you by Strategic Advisor Board and Boxer Media and Growth Marketing, where we speak to successful entrepreneurs, uh, industry experts, and thought leaders while we explore how leveraging trust and authority can give smart businesses a competitive edge. As always, I'm your host, Michael Pacheco. And today with me, I have Dr. Pan Zhang from Pain Relief Path. Pan, welcome to the Authorities Edge. Thanks for having me. Thank you for making time to chat with me here. Um, as always, to kind of kick off the podcast and get conversation going, I want to just invite you to tell us a little more uh, about yourself in your own words and why you do and, well, and what you do and why you do it. <laughs> sure. Um, so for those of you maybe watching the podcast instead of just listening to it, my background is construction because I'm literally building my office right now. <laughs> um, so that's the reason why this looks like this. Um, but anyways. And for those <laughs> listening, uh, Pan, it looks like you've got some framing up in the background and maybe some plastic hanging up on the walls here. Yep, there's a window that's supposed to be going right here eventually. So There's a window sitting on the floor. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I love it, I love it. Yep. Um, so I'm a physical therapist, a doctor of physical therapy. I've been a physical therapist for 13 years now. And recently, I have transitioned to being a chronic pain coach, um, kind of shedding the physical therapy hat and putting on a completely different hat. Um, the reason why I transitioned to doing that is after being a physical therapist for 13 years in a regular outpatient clinic, I kept seeing the same kind of patient come in over and over again, that was not benefiting from the traditional medical system or the traditional medical model. And those are the patients that I was seeing with chronic pain. And uh, when I say chronic pain, this is pain that can any, uh, you know, be from anywhere from like six months to like 10 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. And what would happen is these patients would come in and they, they had basically the same story in that they were seeing, you know, 10 to 15 different doctors and specialists, and they weren't really getting any answers. And some of the answers that they were getting were actually very, very scary and potentially just kind of blown out of proportion to actually make their pain that and that kind of thing can actually make somebody's pain worse. Um, and, you know, being a PT in an outpatient clinic, as much as I wanted to help them, my clinic's just not built to help them the way I really think they needed to help to, to be helped. And so I transitioned to being a chronic pain coach and, this is stepping out of the BT world, but really using a lot of my knowledge I've gained as a chronic pain specialist, but also a lot of knowledge I've gained, um, you know, really being a self-development nerd and um, learning and reading and understanding a lot of that kind of stuff myself. Exactly. Yes. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pan, how do you, so, so, Obviously, on, on the Authorities Edge podcast, we are kind of our focus is on trust and authority and how that kind of how that gives businesses a competitive edge. How do you define uh, trust and authority within the context of, of what you do? So trust in terms of having your 
patients or your clients trust is something that is developed I you know over social media and things like that but honestly in that first discovery call trust is when you are actually sitting there and truly listening to the person and truly holding space for their problems and instead of just trying to get through you know a 15 minute doctor's appointment or whatever after reading their chart trust is really letting that patient speak their piece and understanding and kind of reiterating to them and saying, you know, this is what I'm hearing is your problem. Is this correct? And when they hear their problem related back to them in my words, and they're like, oh yeah, that's totally it. That and just automatically builds trust right away. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it, I struggle with the authority piece a little bit sometimes because I'm not somebody who has had chronic pain before. So sometimes mm-hmm. I get a little bit of a um, kind of imposter syndrome syndrome in the sense that like, you know, I don't feel like I can help somebody with chronic pain if I've never had chronic pain. But then I remind myself that that's really silly because there are doctors helping people with everything with, you know, that they've not, never experienced before. Yeah, not, not every oncologist has had cancer before. Exactly, exactly. And I think that actually really gives me an advantage because I've seen a lot of coaches who've had chronic pain, who've overcome that help people and not, this is not to, you know, take them down or anything or speak negatively to them at all. But because I haven't had that experience, when patients come to me or clients come to me in chronic pain, this is their space. This is not my space to kind of say like, oh yeah, I totally had that same experience. This is not at all that. This is 100% their space. You're not accidentally pushing your experiences upon them is what you're Correct. kind of getting at. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And I think that really helps build that trust piece as well. And then authority, I have a lot of letters after my PT um, name. I've done a lot of um, year-long continuing education. I have two different fellowships and things like that. I don't think that necessarily builds authority, but uh, I think authority definitely starts with the trust. If you don't have the trust, you can't have the authority. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For those listening that don't know, what exactly is a fellowship? So a fellowship is basically a long, I don't, don't want to say drawn out, but a long con ed course. So doctors will do fellowships as well that help them specialize in a very specific area. So For instance, right out of physical therapy school, I did a two-year fellowship in just manual therapy. So I learned how to use my hands, learned a lot of different clinical reasoning skills, things like that. Most recently, I did a chronic pain fellowship, so a pain science fellowship. That was amazing, super eye-opening, and just really completely changed the way I approach people with chronic pain. And actually, one of the main reasons why I transitioned to chronic pain coaching, because I saw that know, in a regular outpatient physical therapy clinic, and really any other clinic, it was just difficult to help patients with chronic pain in the way that they needed to be helped. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I can see then how, I mean, a two year long fellowship, or even a one year long fellowship, that's certainly going to give you a focused kind of, you know, hyper detail level expertise in a, in a specific topic. So if you're studying, you know, just chronic pain for one full year, you're already a professional at that point too, right? This isn't like these aren't mm-hmm. undergrad studies or high school classes or anything. Right. <laughs> um, 
So there's certainly, I can see how that could help build authority. Perhaps, you know, how do you, how do you communicate the value of something like a fellowship? Or you mentioned you've got a lot of letters after your name, right? Like many doctors do, you know, they'll get certifications and additional fellowships, things like that to get additional letters after their names. How do you communicate the authority that those letters can convey? That's an interesting question because actually as a coach, when I put on my coach hat, I don't use those letters after my name because I'm not practicing as a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is I definitely use all of the soft skills that I have um, learned from, you know, both the manual therapy and the chronic pain fellowship to really connect with my clients on a level that potentially they've never connected with any other person trying to help them before. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. None of my clients have really, other than, you know, me introducing myself as a doctor and as a physical therapist by title, nobody has ever actually asked me like, what other credentials do you have to help me with this? Mm -hmm. After our discovery call, they're like, okay, I can see you know what you're talking about and I feel comfortable with you. And, you know, I feel like I've been heard and validated and, you know, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. let's work together. So it's a, it's interesting because maybe the authority doesn't come from yeah. the letter of my name. No, I think that, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's, you know, I think we all know someone who has maybe more, how can I put this gently? Someone who maybe has a little more ego than they do talent or skill, and they'll talk about all the things that they have done mm. a lot, you know, as kind of like to bolster themselves up rather than just dealing with the situation that's at hand, which it sounds like is what you're doing. You're talking to the person, you're talking with the prospect on a chemistry call to to develop trust and authority in real time rather than relying on I've done X, Y, and Z, therefore you should trust me. Right, exactly. And to be quite honest, like you had me explain what a fellowship even is and what that even means, most people, they don't even actually know what that is anyway. So yeah, and they don't really care. All they care about is, can this person help me? Interesting. Interesting. Can you share an example of a time when, I mean, this is probably a silly question for you because your entire business, I would assume is based around this, but can you share an example of when you or or perhaps one of your, I don't know if you call them clients or patients has benefited from from a high level of trust between between you two? Yeah, sure. So yeah, for my coaching business, I call them clients, um, just to help me separate them from my um, in in clinic patients, because I still am a practicing physical therapist right now. Mm-hmm. And I treat them in a very different light. Um, but so the question was, um, how has a patient or how has a client benefited from like that initial trust? Is that right? Yeah. So one of the things it's really interesting how deep how quickly people open up even on the discovery call within Mm -hmm. 10 to 15 minutes. And I'm, you know, within 10 to 15 minutes in a discovery call, they're like, 
they start, it's really funny. I had one, one client start their discovery call in the living room and you can hear like other people around. And then as I'm asking questions, they're like looking around and then they're like, give me a second. And then they're like, they went to a private room and then it all came out and it only took like 10 or 15 minutes of me listening and really only asking just two or three questions, but really important questions that that person maybe has never been asked before. And that really is like, Oh, let me think about this. And it really just dove. I just, you know, you just dive right into what the real problem is and they can sense that and they just open up. It's honestly the discovery part call is one of my favorite parts because I feel so um, lucky and um, I can't I can't think of the word right now. I just feel so lucky and for them to feel comfortable enough with me after 10 or 15 minutes to just be able to trust enough to open up and tell me the things that they don't even want their family members to know. I want to know how you get to that level in 10 or 15 minutes. I also want to know how many of your prospects, before they're even patients, cry during the chemistry call? Almost all of them cry. Um, how do you get to that point so fast? You've got to share this with me, with everybody. So really, I think it's a lot of expectations. A lot of them come on the call and they're, they've been referred to me through, uh, potentially referred to me through, you know, some of my community partners and things like that. Or they're like at their wits end, just like, it's a free discovery call, a free coaching call, whatever, I'll just try it out. And sure. I think they're really expecting just more of the same. Mm-hmm. And within the first 10 or 15 minutes, when I am just sitting back and saying, like, I just kind of lay the groundwork and say like, okay, this is your time. This is your space. I want you to tell me everything that's going on. Don't leave everything, anything out. I think that first question and not interrupting and just letting them go, that is so huge. Like I really don't have to do a lot of work to get them to open up. Uh Just letting them open up is just all they need. Just giving them the space to open up is enough for them to trust. And Um, I think another part is asking questions that really truly reflect that you've been listening to them. So not asking questions that you have on a list, like, oh, these are just the questions that I ask all my prospects because, you know, X, Y, and Z, but asking them questions that reflect true listening. So this is like a motivational interviewing tactic, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And just that active listening tactic. What's motivational interviewing? I'm not familiar with that. The motivational interviewing is a tool that I use as a chronic pain coach and also as a physical therapist to kind of steer people to committing to their own change. Like Mm -hmm. I have as a coach, I have an idea of what would be good for this person, Mm -hmm. but I can't tell them that this will be good for them. Mm-hmm. they have to come to that themselves. Sure. So motivational interviewing is a way to ask questions to get them to get to that end point, ideal end point themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. But also having it relate to them, ultimately. Yeah. So, so circling back, did you have more to say about the first 10 minutes of getting people to cry? You, 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 motivational, list, motivational interviewing? Uh-huh. You, you mentioned... A- asking, and active listening, yeah. active listening, and 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 asking questions that show that reflect true listening. Mm-hmm. Can you yep. talk a little about that? 
Yeah. So it's just, you know, if somebody is telling you and they're like really um, just kind of spilling their guts out and saying, you know, I have chronic pain because I'm in so much, I'm under so much stress, but you know what? It's okay. I I'm handling it. I can, I know I can do it, but this pain is just really getting in the way of me managing my stress versus with chronic pain. It's a uh, biopsychosocial model. So kind of getting into the nitty gritty of it. It's, a combination of your mind, your body, and the stories that you tell yourself, essentially. Uh So when you're super stressed out, the chronic pain isn't interfering with your stress, the stress is actually potentially causing some of the chronic pain Uh um, in pain flare ups. So when they're saying they're trying to be stoic, they're usually a martyr, they're usually a people pleaser. And then when you ask them, okay, so tell me more about this stress. And what is going on there? And really asking them, like, almost like kind of, psychologist, but I'm not a psychologist, but like, how is that making you feel? How are you handling that? And these are questions that potentially nobody has ever asked them, mm-hmm. especially loved ones and things like that. And that's when the tears start. That's when it's like, how are you handling that? And that's when people typically lose it because they're not handling it. And they're just holding on by a very, very, very thin thread. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, so how much, how much of your, clearly you're successful in the trust part, if not, if not authority, right? You're clearly successful at that. How much of that is a a direct effect of your ideal clients, your, your prospects being, um, let's call it highly emotional, right? Stressed out, right? This is, this is very, you know, how does, I guess the question that I'm getting at here, I'm working it out in my head, bear with me. Um, how do you, how can someone who sells regular services or someone who sells widgets, how can someone like that apply what you do to their sales calls, to their chemistry calls, to their customer meetings? Right. Yeah. I, I totally, I understand your question because my, my client base is very emotionally charged just naturally. Yeah. Whereas, buying a widget is maybe not so much. Um, But I would I would actually argue that it 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 kind of is if somebody is in the market to buy something, they are spending their precious time and energy on a discovery call with you. They are they are emotionally invested, like they are Mm spending this time that could other be otherwise be used to work on their business or hang out with family or whatever. So they're emotionally invested. I think for people looking to build that trust and to kind of interview those types of clients, it really is, again, just figuring out what is their actual problem and listening, like giving them space to actually list what their actual problem is versus like, I'm just looking for a widget because I don't know what a common um, reason to buy a widget for is to, um, you know, just be more efficient with this task. I need some two by fours to build a room. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's actually a great, that's a great um, example. So you can kind of see over here, there's kind of half of a wall started. I tried to do that myself and then realized the time and energy commitment to that was just way off the charts. And it's not that I am, I don't necessarily, I can't necessarily make the time or energy for it. 
it will take me like 10 years to finish that wall if I do it. And that's okay. But the time that I'm spending on that is time that I'm taking away from spending time with my family, my daughter, and working on my business. Mm -hmm. So my real pain point here is not working on the wall so that I can spend time doing things that truly matter to me. Yeah, everything you say yes to is a no to something else. There's a no to 10 other things. Right. Right? Yeah. right. So somebody is asking for something, a tool to make them more efficient. I think the right answer is like, oh, cool. Yeah, that's totally reasonable. Um, and get a little personal. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if that's a thing that you do in the electronic space. But if you can get a little personal and be like, yeah, I totally get it. You want to be more efficient so that you can do. Or in the two by four space, right? If, you know, you go to Home Depot or Lowe's and someone wants to sell you two by four, how can they make you cry? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that one, but um, I mean, maybe giving them the vision of like, this is what a two by four can build you, you know, this is, yeah, providing you're, them the you're, vision. You're building, you're building an office, you're building your office right there. That office, when that's all complete, is going to be like your sacred space that you're going to be spending with with your clients. You're helping. You're, you're a chronic pain coach. You're helping people. You're changing people's lives. I hope. Yes. <laughs> I hope so too. Um, yeah, and making people's lives better, and that's going to be like this space where you make all of that happen. So there's, right. you know, your visions somewhere in there. I maybe didn't. I'm not a salesman, but. <laughs> No, yeah, no, it's 100% right. Like, I want this space to feel good for me so that right. I can show up in You're my right. best self for my clients. I love it. I love it. Um, how do you handle situations where trust and authority are either challenged or maybe broken entirely? Has that happened? Um, I, think when, I think when trust and authority is challenged, I actually relish that because I have a, I actually get a lot of resistance from people with chronic pain because when i start saying you know pain is not just a body thing but also a mind and story issue people immediately come back and are like so are you telling this is just in my head and i was <laughs> like no, not at all but so i get challenged with that all the time and mm -hmm. sometimes people are not ready to hear the message and that's okay mm -hmm. right they're just not ready to go down that road yet they need to explore more in the area that they're currently exploring for themselves yeah. and that's perfectly fine but when they're when they're actually coming with true curiosity with that question i really relish those times because i get to educate that person and say you know this is what's truly happening here um, you know, this is not just in your head. There's a whole buttload of really great research coming out now showing that things like emotional well-being and, again, the sociological background, your culture, again, your stories that you tell yourself, all of these things significantly impact your pain. And I can go into analogies that I talk, tell them and things like that. And usually there's a light bulb that goes off. And those people are the ones that I think trust me more because then they're like, I, I'm not necessarily convinced them, but I've taken time to educate them without being defensive. Nice. Nice. Um, in terms of where trust is broken, um, I haven't really actually, honestly, 
been in that situation yet. Um, but I would think if trust is broken, the first step is just true honesty. And just, again, being an open book and saying, you know, uh, being very receptive without def defense mm -hmm. as to their feedback mm -hmm. or your services, but also not stating your case, not being defensive, but just saying, you know, this is how I operate. These are the things that I do. This is how I help you. And if this doesn't work for you, or if you're not quite ready yet, that is okay. And honestly, just letting that person go, because at that point, they're not an ideal client. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Just honesty and transparency and owning. If it's a mistake on your end, just owning it. I love that, Pan. I, uh, I know you're on a little bit of a time crunch. I want to be respectful of that. Real quick, what three books on the topic of trust and or, and or authority would you recommend um, our our listeners and viewers to read? Um, that is a good question. I don't know if I have three books. Well, we've already talked about one, motivational interviewing. Yep. Right. Motiv so motivational interviewing for healthcare practitioners is a book, is a book that I nerd out on, <laughs> obviously. Um, so that one book that I would say that helps you build trust with people potentially is actually super foundational. Think like a monk. Yeah. It's one of my first, um, one of the first self-development books that I really went into by Jay Shetty. And it was just eye-opening for me. And after reading that book, it really truly helps me connect with people on a much deeper level. So that would be one. And I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. Oh, any of Brene Brown's stuff about vulnerability. So Brene Brown has like Daring Greatly. Um, that's the only one I have up here, Dare to Lead, but that's not quite the same. But Daring Greatly, being vulnerable is just a huge part of building trust, I think. Daring Greatly is fantastic. I want to point out right, right there. That's actually a printout of the uh, man in the arena speech that Teddy mm -hmm. Roosevelt gave in Paris in 1910, <laughs> which is what that, uh, that title is from. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. And she opens up the book with that speech and it's, it's beautiful. It's a strong one. If you haven't, uh, for those watching and listening, if you have never heard of or unfamiliar with uh, Teddy Roosevelt's man in the arena speech, do a Google search. You can read the the excerpt, the man in the arena. You can read the excerpt in you know probably sixty seconds or less. Well worth your time. It's it's a good one. Pan, is there anything else that you would like to chat about that we didn't have an opportunity to touch upon? I think you asked all the questions, all the right questions. So, no, awesome. Yeah. Where can our listeners and viewers connect with you online? Um, so I have a website, painreliefpath.com. Um, you can email me at pan at painreliefpath. And I am most active on Instagram, uh, pain underscore relief underscore path, um, because apparently pain relief path was already taken. So the underscores between each word. Awesome. Pan Zhang, thank you so much. Dr. Pan Zhang, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to chat with me today. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners and viewers. We'll see you guys next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Authority's Edge with Michael Pacheco. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode.